God. And let's go ahead and stand as we open up in prayer tonight. If you've joined us online, thank you for being with us and tuning in tonight. We're glad that you're here as we continue on with our, our teaching series on Ruth. Uh, we're going to have a good study tonight. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Again, we want to continue praying for rain, um, and, and particularly we want to pray uh, all the wildfires that are around. Uh, we had a former, one of our former secretaries from years back lives in, in the Glen Rose area, and uh, they were evacuating uh, their animals and things like that down with the Chalk Mountain fire. So uh, anyway, we want to just pray. And I always go back to the Chronicles. It says, when the heavens are brass and shut up and there is no rain, if we pray, and uh, let's, let's keep praying that uh, God will just send the rain to saturate. But again, more importantly, that God would send a spiritual rain. We also want to pray for, for revival. Uh, our nation needs it in a bad way. And uh, also, uh, our, we have kids. We have a group of kids that will be going to kids camp on Friday. Uh, so they'll go Friday, and then they'll come back, and then we'll have another group of kids that will go next week. And so let's pray for their protection uh, in this heat. Uh, let's just pray that, uh, and for the workers that are out there, obviously, and then also for a spiritual encounter uh, there at camp. What a, what a great atmosphere. Uh, my oldest granddaughter uh, is eight and a half, or almost nine, and she's just chomping at the bit. She's excited to go to camp. And so we just pray that God would just meet them there and just rock their world. Father, we just love you tonight, and we're so thankful to be able to come together and to study your word. Lord, I thank you that, again, oftentimes I talk about just the reminders that are all around us of how much you really care about us. And I just pray that tonight as we uh, begin this study that you would just, again, uh, Lord, just, just show up. Lord, just speak to our hearts and into our spirits. Lord, I pray, Father, for the many, many needs that are here tonight that we're signified by the lifting of the hand, those that are online tonight that are commenting right now. Lord, I thank you that you're big enough. Lord, you know our down-sitting, our uprising. You know everything about us. And I just pray, Father, that no matter what that need is tonight, I thank you that, Lord, your word reveals you as our healer. So I pray with their physical needs tonight, Lord, that you would just manifest that healing power. I pray, Father, for those that are discouraged tonight, that you would encourage them. Lord, those that need a financial miracle, Lord, I pray that you would provide because you are Jehovah Jireh, you are providing God. And make your provision seen tonight, Lord. I pray you'll provide the job or that unexpected bill, Lord. Meet that resource, Lord. And then we pray uh, as we stand together, Lord. We pray for, we pray for rain, uh, Lord, across our land. We just pray, God, that you would uh, send the rain. Protect our first responders and firefighters that are working hard with these wildfires all across the country. Uh, Lord, here in our own community, Lord, I pray that you will just... Uh, Lord, that you would be with them, watch over them. I pray for our children, our kids, as they go off to kids' camp. Lord, may they have a, an encounter with you that alters their life forever. Uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, again, we pray for revival for our nation. Uh, Lord, with all that's going on in our land, Lord, we pray that people would turn back to you, Lord, and that you would just hear, forgive our sin, uh, heal our land. Father, we just thank you for your promises. We anchor ourselves in who you are. We lift up all of these things tonight, believing that we receive what we ask for, because we ask it in faith, and in Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me once again to the book of Ruth, uh, Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4. We have one more week in this study. How many has enjoyed this? I mean, it's been a, it's really been a good, it's been a good study. 
I, w- I was telling Amanda just a moment ago that I had mentioned that I had taught this through this book uh, some years back, uh, but that wasn't the case. I, uh, something came up. I, I have my notes, but I didn't teach through it. And so I went back to kind of compare to see what I was thinking about about 15 years ago versus what I'm thinking now, and it's totally, <laughs> it's a whole different direction than what uh, I took this time. But uh, uh, it's been a good study. Tonight we're going to be talking about faith. Uh, again, uh, we're going to talk about faith. And so uh, don't forget Sunday we continue on with our summer series, Hot Topics for Hot Times. Um, these are really hot-button issues that we're dealing with in our culture today. Uh, this coming Sunday I'll be uh, preaching on the transgender issue that we have in our culture today. Um, and again, as, I, as I've said as a disclaimer, these are not hate-filled messages. We need God's Word uh, to counter what we're being pushed uh, in, in our culture today. Uh, last Sunday was on abortion, uh, and, and we just, you know, I, I, we need to hear God's Word on it. Uh, the Bible says, forever, O Lord, your Word is established. doesn't need to be updated. Uh, it's established. It means what it says. It says what it means, and we just need to, uh, we need to tap into that. So we'll be going that direction. A uh, lot of other things going on. Check out online the announcements, uh, uh, opportunities to get involved. We'd love for you to plug in uh, men's ministry, women's ministry, a lot of things going on. Uh, but anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Again, we're in the study of Ruth, a story of redeeming love. And we're going to, again, next Sunday's the last, excuse me, next Wednesday is our final teaching in this, in this uh, uh, series. Uh, so tonight we're going to be looking at faith. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, and I will read all 12 verses. So we'll begin verse number 1. It says, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and he sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, notice this, and he said, the other guy said, I, notice what he said, I will redeem it. Okay? Sounds like a final deal. Well, listen, here's a go, here it goes. Then Boaz said, on the day, you know, it's like, but. Isn't there always a but? <laughs> so, so verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So, in other words, it's a package deal. So he goes on and says, and, and And the close relative said, well, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I run my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for you yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought 
all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. In verse 12, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And we'll stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So, so now we get to the, as Paul Harvey says, we get to the rest of the story. So last week, we ended the story of Ruth on a cliffhanger. If you remember, we saw, again, one of the things I want you to remember, and I'll reiterate every week, is that the hero of the story of Ruth is the unseen hand of God. Because behind the scenes, God was working, and, and there have been people down through the years, and I forget who it was that said that God, will be, God is working 10,000 10, ways in our life, we might only see three. There are things that, are, that God is doing right now that we cannot see. In fact, Job, one of the things about Job, and I know this is a far cry from Ruth, but, but Job, one of the things that irritated Job was that he knew. <laughs> he knew that God was up to something, but he couldn't figure out what it was. He knew that God knew where he was, and he didn't understand why the calamity and the disaster had, had befallen him, and so it was a struggle for him. I think sometimes for us, when we get into the, uh, again, as Dr. Tony Evans says, God either causes all things or allows all things. Nothing comes to us that doesn't pass through the permissive will of God. And, and so with the story of Ruth, uh, again, God, we, we've seen how God had been working behind the scenes on behalf of Naomi and Ruth. When Ruth goes to glean in the fields for food, she had no idea what God had in store for her. And again, we know the story well. She met Boaz, and was, he was impressed by her and made provisions beyond what would have been expected. Last week, we saw the, uh, one of the most incredible marriage proposals, maybe ridiculous marriage proposals. Remember I told you last week that it all boiled down to stinky feet at a threshing floor. <laughs> uh, you know, you'd have to go back and read chapter 3 to understand what I'm talking about. Naomi lay out this, laid out this plan for Boaz who was a relative and a kinsman redeemer. Remember, under the Levitical law in the Old Testament, God made provisions for the family that if a, that if a brother or a kinsman had passed away and he didn't have offspring, that he made provisions for them because they didn't have welfare back then. They didn't have SNAP. They didn't have, they didn't have any of that type of system. So God, in the family code, made provisions for uh, a relative to redeem the d- deceased property, his family, so that the family name would continue. So that's kind of where that came from. Ruth went along with the plan, and, of course, we know the story. She goes at midnight and uncovers his feet, and because the man's feet gets cold, he wakes up wondering, <laughs> who's, at the, who's at my feet? And uh, she makes that marriage proposal. Um, there's only one problem. And this is where we left it last week. There's only one problem. There is a relative closer in relationship than Boaz. And again, in that custom, he has the first right of refusal. Uh, Now, we don't know what the relative was. We don't know if he was a first cousin and Boaz was a second cousin. We we don't really know. We're not told that. 
but he, had, he was in a closer relationship, closer kin, therefore he had the right of first refusal. Um, and, and it's kind of like what Shakespeare wrote one time. He said, the course of true love never did run smooth. <laughs> How many can testify to that? Never did run smooth. And it didn't run smooth for Ruth. So, again, Ruth's story is anything but smooth. You know, I, I can imagine. How many of you can think back when you were a child, a young boy, a young girl growing up, and, and, and you had dreams and you had visions and aspirations of things you wanted to do with your life? And, you know, I, I love watching little kids today. They, they, they want to be a fireman. They dress up, you know, they want to be a policeman. They want to be a, a doctor. They want to be an astronaut. Uh, nowadays, they want to be a gamer or, or, or a blogger or a vlogger or something. I don't know. But can you imagine... For me, I, I, I can almost imagine Ruth as a little girl growing up in Moab, okay? And, and, and I probably would imagine that she never had any idea that she would marry a Jewish man by the name of Malon. I, I, I just don't, again, you've got to understand that God even forbid there, to be a, forbid there to be a relationship. In Deuteronomy, he said, don't have anything to do with them, not you nor your seed. It was an embarrassing situation that brought the the, the, the Moabites into existence, and God said, you're not to have anything to do. And he reminded them of how they had come in, seduced the men of Israel, turned them into idolatry. God uh, judged them for that, and he said, don't have anything to do with them. So as a little girl, I promise you, she probably wasn't thinking about one day being able to marry a Jewish man. Much less did she know that he would die at such a young age, leaving her to be a widow among her own people. And again, if you follow that logic, not only that, but not in her wildest dreams could she have ever foreseen moving from Moab to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law. I have a mother-in-law. I'm in Texas. And we'll stop there. <laughs> never in her, never in her wild, wildest imagination would she, would she imagine that, that she as a Moabite woman would end up going to Bethlehem with her Jewish mother-in-law, and, and, and again, it, it was a decision that meant leaving her people, leaving her homeland, and leaving her religion. Also, I can't imagine that she would have ever expected to propose marriage to Boaz during the midnight rendezvous on the threshing floor, but that's how it unfolded. Again, that, that's, that's, that's the incredible story of Ruth. I would imagine that most of us here probably have had dreams of our future but the reality is, none of us have an idea of what the future holds. You know, I, I've often said in my almost 30 years pastoring here, is that I wish I could, I wish I could tell you that tomorrow's going to be better. But I just don't know that. I, I don't know what's going to happen when we get home. I don't, I don't know if we're, God forbid, something tragic happen. But I don't know that I'll wake up in the morning. We just don't know that. You know, the Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Today is a, that's why we have to, we can't keep putting things off because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised a, a, another breath. We have no idea what the future holds. We, we live life as it unfolds day by day by day. While we may not know the future, the reality is we do know who holds the future. And that's a big help. See, at some point, we have to believe that God is at work behind the scenes. And again, Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. We know that no matter what comes our way, God is working those things for His master plan. Through all the twists and the turns of Ruth's story, God has been writing her story. 
When this story began in chapter 1, it was a bleak and dismal story. But with the closing of every single chapter, you could see the handwriting. Remember when chapter 1 was over, Ruth, uh, Naomi had made the decision to go back to Bethlehem and and, and you, the, the exchange with Orpah and Ruth with Naomi and, and Orpah leaving and fading off the scenes of history. But Ruth saying, where you go, I'll go. And where you live, I'll live. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. She made that confession. It was a confession of faith. She accepted the, the faith of Naomi. They get back to Bethlehem in chapter 2. And, she said, and everybody's celebrating that Naomi has come home. She said, don't call me Naomi. Because that means pleasant one, and I'm not pleasant. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. I went away full, and I'm back empty. And you know what? Again, I pointed out that she laid the blame on God. He did this to me. God must, have be, God must be angry with me. God, you know, I must have frustrated him somehow. But by the end of chapter 2, as you get into, again, when they get there, remember there's one key thing that's going on. It's harvest time. That's the whole, that's the key to the entire story of Ruth. It's harvest time. They get back and Ruth does what the younger daughter-in-law would do to support the older mother-in-law. We don't know how old they were. She goes out to glean in the fields, which was a provision that God had instituted to take care of the poor. Again, with each closing chapter, you see the hand of God setting them up. For something pretty incredible. You know, we're now going to see how the story ends and unfolds as God writes this story despite the ups and the downs of life. So the first thing I want you to notice, let's, talk, let's look at the preparation. So, so last week we looked at the marriage proposal. And again, it all fit with according to Jewish customs at that time. And, um, you know, Boaz being an older nobleman, how it all unfolded, it was, it, was, uh, it, it was an interesting thing. But it left with a, a cliffhanger. And when Naomi, excuse me, when Ruth went home that night, early that morning, I should say, she went to, into a holding pattern, and Boaz told her, I will make this right today. I will find out. Okay, so she made the marriage proposal. Hey, bring me under your wings you know, that was the marriage proposal. So Boaz said, I'll take care of it. By the end of the day, we will know because there is one closer and I need to go talk to him. So Boaz, again, was a man of action. You know, he wasn't one of these guys that just kind of spouted something out of his mouth and just sat there. You know, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of people that talk and they never do anything. You know, success never comes by talking about it. It comes by doing something. So Boaz was a man of action. When he made up his mind to get something done, he didn't sit around waiting for the optimum time. He just got up and did it. So, so in our text, our narrative tonight, it says that he goes out to the city gate and he sat down. Now, again, you, can't, you, you shouldn't think of the gate like you and I have in our backyards. It's not like a fence gate. It's not like that at all. Every town in, in ancient times was uh, of any size and in particular had a wall that surrounded the town and it protected the inhabitants of that city or that village or what have you. And, and that a small village might only have one gate that you can, le- you can enter and leave. That's the gate that we're talking about. It meant the gate was equivalent to what you and I today would know as Main Street. It was Main Street. The farmers, the merchants, the, the vendors, the, 
the, the visitors, everybody passed through the gate. You entered and you left. It was a place where people went to do business and to settle disputes. And the elders of the town would gather near the gate because they would be called upon to act as legal witnesses. And so that's kind of what you see unfolding here in chapter 4. In this case, Boaz needs 10 men to witness uh, the transaction as he tries to redeem uh, Naomi's land and take Ruth as his wife. There's, again, there's only one problem. There was a man that was a nearer relative to Elimelech than Boaz was, and he had that first right. So it's interesting because Boaz now has to figure out how to make a legitimate offer and then have him turn it down. I, he, he, just, he has to figure that out because I promise you that Boaz was willing and ready to, to marry Ruth. Again, Sometimes we read that, and everything I've ever seen about Ruth is that she was a beautiful woman. Nowhere in the Scripture does it describe her physicality or, or her physical makeup. It doesn't say anything about it. There was something about the woman on the inside that attracted Boaz, her industriousness, her faithfulness, her loyalty to Naomi. There was something about her. Again, listen, beauty fades. The inner, the inner character and quality is what shines brightest. So, Again, for, that to, for him to be able to redeem, it, there, there needed, it had to be done legally, okay? He needed witnesses. So that's why he's come to the city gate. Uh, it's, it's where all the business has taken place. So Boaz, again, is nothing, is, 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 if not, a, I mean, he's a shrewd businessman. I mean, again, he's a noble man. He's a man of integrity and honor, but he's a shrewd businessman. He knows what he's doing. When the other man appears, I love the way the Bible, most translations say uh, he calls him friend. Friend. And ask him to sit down and talk. Now, now we don't know the man's name. I don't know that anybody's ever, we don't, we don't know what his name, it's lost to history. We just know that the Bible, uh, mo, all, all or most all English versions of the Bible use the word friend. Interesting thing, though, is in Hebrew, that's not what it says. In the original Hebrew, it is, it's an untranslatable phrase that means something like Mr. So-and-so. That, that's, that's really what it is, Mr. So-and-so. So, so he starts out, you know, with his preparation. Getting, he goes to the city gate. He gets his ten witnesses. He sits there waiting for Mr. So-and-so to come by so that he can now do the second thing, and that is negotiate. So, again, Boaz, being a businessman, knew how to close the deal. So he starts with the good news in verse number three. I love this. Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech, okay? So now he tells him what's going on. Evidently, it means that Naomi had to sell the property uh, to ease her poverty uh, as a near relative or the nearest relative to Elimelech. Mr. So-and-so had the opportunity, the first right of refusal. And the only way that Boaz could do it is if Mr. So-and-so turned him down. Now, on its face value, how many know that Mr. So-and-so was getting a good deal? So, so he says, you know what, Naomi's back. She, she had to sell her property. Your nearest relative, do you want to redeem this? Uh, and, and, again, he could pick up the land perhaps for a small, a small pittance, a small fee, price, whatever, add it to his own estate. When he died, it would pass on to his descendants. Sound like a good deal, right? So Mr. So-and-so says, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. But as I said earlier, but there's a catch. <laughs> there's a catch. 
there's always a catch, isn't there? What's the old adage? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It probably. I've told you this before, but I remember when when uh, when Sheila and I, when I was stationed, uh, when we got transferred to to Germany, when I was stationed overseas, I didn't know what an infomercial was. We didn't. We you know before I went to. To, to Germany, I, I'd never seen a, I'd seen commercials, okay, but I, I didn't know what infomercials were, and I didn't know, and, and so when I get back, I, I remember sitting there watching uh, late night one of these infomercials talking about how you could buy a Mercedes for like $300, or you could buy this car from, you know, and I was, and I was so intrigued by that, and I thought, really? So in my mind, I'm thinking, whoo, I'm seeing dollar signs. Anybody? You know, I'm seeing dollar signs. I'm thinking, man, I could buy two or three or four of those, and I could turn around and sell them, and, I mean, just flipping them. Man, wouldn't that be great? And so I pick up the phone, and I call the 800 number, and I have to order a book. And it's a book that cost me $19.95. And they sent me that book. And it was a book telling me about all these government auctions. And, I mean, it, 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 stuff that I could have picked up at the library. I mean, it, it was common knowledge and information, but I didn't know because I'd been out of the country for three years. And I thought, man, I just wasted 1995. And I said something to my father-in-law. He said, yeah. He said, uh, you know, and he reminded me that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, I'm not saying people don't make money like that, but I sure, I wasn't inclined to do that. So there was a catch. And, and and the catch was, it was a package deal, <laughs> okay? So so he said, buy the land, and when you buy the land, you get Ruth thrown in as a bonus. Now, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? That, hey, well, you get this young woman too. <laughs> but that was the package deal. Uh, and again, based on what we know about Ruth, I mean, it really would have been a good deal. I mean, because we know about her character. She was a woman of high character. She was a woman of great loyalty. She obviously was a woman that knew how to work. She wasn't afraid of hard work. So, I mean, uh, uh, hard work, his, his, his gleaners, his, his harvesters commented about how she had been out in the field from early morning to late afternoon. And, and so she wasn't afraid of hard work. It would have been a great deal. But it also meant whoever bought the land had to marry her. And, and, and furthermore, not only did you have to marry her, but now you've got to have a child with her. That's the deal. <laughs> Do you want to redeem? Now he offers. That complicates things, right? It's one thing to buy the land, but it's altogether a different thing to take on another wife and have a baby by her. So that becomes a deal. So, so all of a sudden, verse number 6, he changes his mind. Verse 4, he says, I'll take it. Verse number 6 says, no, you take it. <laughs> he changes his mind. He's like, I can't redeem it for myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. What is he saying? Well, you know, it probably means that he was already married and that he had children and they would be his natural heirs to his property, right? Adding Ruth to the mix and then having a son with her would complicate everything. Listen, I have been involved in funerals in my over 30 years of ministry where there have been some blended families and when it came, when one passed and, and there was estate issues going on, Oh, my goodness. I've seen fangs come out of family members and claws. So you can imagine, this guy's, he's Mr. So-and-so is pretty smart. He's like, I can't do that. 
I can't get complicated. It can't be complicated. He realizes he's got to say no to this opportunity of the lifetime. I mean, he'll be buying nothing but future headache, and he sees that. Well, I have to give. I have to tip my hat to him because he knew what he was doing. And then he goes on, verse six, and he says, "Take my right of redemption because I can't do it." If I was a betting man, I'd probably say Boaz has got a big grin on his face on the inside. <laughs> probably smiling on the inside because his plan worked to perfection. Now, there was nothing shady about what he did. It was actually a legitimate thing. But I think his heart's desire was, I think he saw what God was doing in that whole situation. He knew Mr. So-and-so would have to say no. I mean, sure, there's always a chance that he would have said yes, but, but Boaz knew that he knew what he was doing. If, if the man said yes, I mean, think about it. The reason that he did this was because Boaz was concerned about Ruth and Naomi being taken care of. So if the man had said yes and followed through, then he would have taken care of Ruth and Naomi. I mean, again, ultimately, that's what he wanted. But, this, but in his heart, I think he had hoped and prayed, I'll take Ruth. I'll, I want to redeem the land, and I want to marry Ruth. Again, in those, there's a couple things in here that stick out that are really kind of odd because... Uh, you know, it always goes down to the feet, doesn't it? You know, the marriage proposal is done at the feet. And so in those days, property sale, a property sale, by, by one, it was sealed by one man giving a sandal to the other man. So that's what you find in verse number 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8. It's like selling your home and then handing the keys to the buyer. When you gave your sandal to the other party who's buying your land or redeeming your land, basically what you're doing is saying, I'm giving up my right to walk on this property because it now belongs to you. That's why he passed the sandal to the other man or, or to Boaz. So with the deal done, again, you can see it. Boaz twice says to the ten men who are standing by and they're watching this, and he says, you're my witnesses. You, you see this, you know, again, you're, you're, my, you're my witnesses. He intended to do every single thing by the book because he was an honorable man. And again, it makes it clear when you read the, the text here that he was an honorable man in the way he was dealing with Ruth because uh, he wanted to honor the name of Ruth's dead husband, Malon. Any son born to Boaz and Ruth would be perpetuating Malon's name, not his own. That's what type of guy Boaz was. Now, where's Ruth in all this stuff going on? She's at home. She's at home. She, she went home. She's still in the holding pattern. She went home. Neither, neither woman, Ruth nor Naomi, know what's going on at the city gate. She follows Naomi's vice. Remember last week, Naomi, Ruth comes back and tells, him what, tells Naomi what's going on. What does Naomi say to her? Sit down. I mean, that's how we would say it today. Sit down. Because she probably was pacing. Well, what if, what if the other man says yes? What if, you, know, and just, you know how your brain does. You, she's probably pacing the floor wondering, would he say yes? Would he say no? Am I going to marry Boaz? Am I going to marry Mr. So-and-so? Just pacing back and forth. And Naomi finally says, would you sit down? Basically said, wait. Just Wait. So she waits, knowing that Boaz would settle the matter one way or the other. Did she pray for him? We don't know. I would like to suspect that she did. 
and I, I think Naomi probably was too, no matter what happened at the gate, this would be Ruth's final day as a single woman, no matter what happened, which way it went. She would be the wife of Mr. Boaz, or she would be the wife of Mr. So-and-so. Again, Boaz stands out as a man of action and wisdom and integrity. He doesn't wait around for something to happen. He takes initiative, and he presents the matter in a very clever uh, fashion so that Mr. So-and-so uh, said yes, and then he said no, and, and all the, everything's done. There's witnesses, and they all certify this is a proper transaction. And then we get to the third thing, and this is the acclamation. Now, if we were in modern setting, I have a wedding this weekend on Friday night. If we were in a modern setting uh, and something like this had transpired, then all of a sudden right now the organ would start playing and people would begin to, they would stand, would stand up and they would celebrate the bride and the groom. That's, that would be what was happening. Boaz has taken Ruth as his wife even though she's not even there. And the people acknowledge what he's done. The people who watched all of this, the passers-by and the, t- the ten men that were there, they now pronounce blessings on Boaz and Ruth. Now, how many remember I said earlier, there's nothing wasted in the Bible. There's no, there's no fillers. So everything that's said in the Bible is, is, is there for a reason. And, and, and so these blessings are not just random things that are said. They have meaning and purpose behind it. Notice... Um, how they bless, when they pronounce the blessing, they do it, they pronounce three blessings on them. The first one is this, they ask God to make Ruth like Rachel and Leah. Well, okay, so what does that all mean? Well, these two women, along with their maidservants, gave birth to Jacob's sons who were leaders of the 12 tribes. In fact, verse 11 says, they built the house of Israel. They built the house of Israel from, from the ground up through the children that they bore. This is a prayer for uh, Ruth's womb, to, uh, for the children uh, of, her, of Ruth that, that they'll carry on for future generations. That's what they're praying. The second thing they ask them for blessing, they pray uh, that Boaz will prosper in Bethlehem. Notice verse 11 says, May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. Now, Boaz, again, was already known. I mean, he's a... Uh, uh, he was well-known in, uh, in Bethlehem, but now they pray that his prosperity uh, and popularity would increase so that his name would be even greater than it was before. See, they understood how extraordinary it was for a Jewish man, older man, to care so deeply for a Moabite uh, woman who was a widow. All the odds, listen, you wouldn't get eHarmony or or date.com, or what, you, would, that, you wouldn't find that scenario, unless they're gold diggers or something like that. The odds are against it. How, did, how would they meet? How would they fall in love? In God's providence, that's exactly what happened. Again, God set this system up, or this, this situation. God did this. Again, that's why we have to live with understanding that God knows the beginning from the end. We're stuck right here in a very linear fashion, only seeing what's right here in front of us. But God already sees what's going on tomorrow and the next week. He already sees. He already knows. I love the story when the, when the, five, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the disciples are fussing. They're like, well, how are we going to feed so many people? And, 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 and Jesus, the Bible says about Jesus that he already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. 
See, we, have, we approach it as though, what in the world are we going to do? God already knows what he's going to do. He already knows how he's going to align the events to get me right where I want to be. You know, I don't have time to share. Uh, one of the things I've been able to do, some of the men's conferences that I've done, is share my testimony, how, how an Alabama guy who signs up to be in the Air Force ends up on an Army base to meet his wife that's been married now for 35, 36 years. In a normal course of event, nothing, I mean, it would be very difficult for something like that to happen. And yet God orchestrated situations and circumstances that enabled me to move against what would be the norm. Same thing here. Only God could do that. The third thing they pray for is kind of an interesting thing. Verse number 12 said, they pray for future generations to be blessed like the house of Perez. The son of Tamar, uh, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Now, now that's an interesting that's an interesting thing. I don't really have time to jump into a, a whole lot of that. But if you've ever read Genesis thirty eight, a lot of people want to skip that chapter right there because it's kind of embarrassing. It's you say, well, I I don't, I don't recall that. Well, this is amazing. Listen, this this blessing is amazing because it brings up a very shameful event in his, Israel's history. If you've not read it, go read it sometime, Genesis 38. Basically, Judah, who is the son of Jacob, sleeps with a woman he thinks is a prostitute who turns out, to be his, turns out that she's Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who is married to his son, Ur, who's now deceased. <laughs> you following that? She does this to preserve the family line. I mean, her, but her means are less than noble, obviously and highly irregular. And from that union, okay, from that illicit union came the boy Perez. And from, uh, from him came descendants who built the house of Perez within the tribe of Judah. Okay? So that's where that comes from. So again, you, you say, well, what does that have to do with the story? Well, think about this. Every one of us here, how many of you have, um, how do I want to say this? How many of you have things in your family past that you don't want to talk about? Yeah, I think most every family has a few rascals and some nuts. Probably. And, and it's no different. I mean, it's, it's no different. We all have rascals in our family tree. You know, Judah, Judah didn't cover himself with honor by sleeping with a woman he thought was a prostitute. I mean, it was a shameful thing. And from that union, that from, from that illicit union came the birth of Perez who preserved the family name and became part of the house of Perez in the in the line of Judah, but in Ruth four again we see good we see good fruit from a bad incident. God can redeem anything. Doesn't mean that, pardon me. Doesn't mean I have a license to go out and do anything I want to do because God can. No, not at all. But God takes the the boneheaded things that we do from time to time and He turns it around and makes something good out of it. You see, that's Romans 8.28 right there in the Old Testament version. You know, a lot of people think we need to skip through Genesis 38 in our preaching because it's untidy. <laughs> sure it is. But God has a way of redeeming our untidiness. In this case, think about this. He uses a Moabite widow who marries a Jewish man. Together they have a son who will be part of David's family tree. A thousand years later, Jesus Christ will be born. 
He will come, think about it, he will come from Abraham and David by way of Perez, Boaz, and Ruth. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God uses the unlikeliest people in the unlikeliest ways to fulfill his promises. So so what are some of the takeaways as we kind of bring this thing in for a landing tonight? What are some of the takeaways? Well, I think, first of all, from Boaz, I think we learned the importance of integrity in all things. Boy, this would be a message that needs to go to the masses. You know, the Bible says God honors those who honor him. And, And I truly believe that as parents and grandparents, we are to demonstrate and teach to our children, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Again, my father being a firefighter for 35 years and having a, a side business like most do, uh, I, I watched this. My father exemplified what this means. My, my dad would give a quote, stick out his right hand, and that was it. No need for lawyer drawn-up contracts. No need for duplicate and triplicate copies. My dad stuck a hand out, shook a hand, and that was the deal that was sealed, and my dad lived up to it. Today, my honor, my integrity, that's all I have. Everything I do, I, you know, when I get a chance to go and preach somewhere or teach somewhere, I do it, to, number one, to honor him, and number two, to reflect honor on my church, family. I want to carry myself with honor. I don't want to do anything that would embellish, or, or excuse me, that would embarrass the name of Christ. Boaz was a man of integrity. Just as Boaz refused to take advantage of Ruth at the threshing floor, he, always, uh, he also refused to take advantage of that unnamed relative. I mean, think about it. He, Mr. So-and-so had the first choice. I mean, Boaz, he could have gone on and, done, and, and redeemed it, and nobody would have been the wiser. You believe that? I mean, again, the way the circumstances were, he could have redeemed it. He could have married Ruth, and nobody, Mr. So-and-so, never, ever, ever would have had a, a, an inkling of, a, of an idea, I wouldn't imagine. But because he was a man of honor and integrity, he wasn't going to let that slide. He follows the letter of the law by accepting, uh, by presenting the first right of refusal and then by accepting the sandal from the nearer relative. Again, twice he informs the ten men they are witnesses of this transaction. There's nothing hidden because there's nothing to hide. He's a man of unquestionable integrity. So from Boaz, we learn that, that God will honor. If you walk in honor, God will honor you. Does that mean that sometimes you're going to be taken advantage of? Absolutely. Absolutely. We live in a fallen world. There will be people that will abuse your good nature, your kindness, your compassion. They will take advantage of your integrity. Leave that up to him. Just because somebody will mistreat you or abuse your, your honor doesn't give us a license to respond in an unhonorable way, right? The second thing, from Ruth, we learned that we, we learned the importance of waiting on God. This one I really struggle with. <laughs> uh, nobody likes to wait. I, you know, I, I, I tend to do pretty well most times, but there are times I'm just, I'm impatient. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I just get impatient. You know, I, I, if, if I go through a dry, if I go to a 10-minute loo place, I want it 10 minutes. I don't want it 45 minutes. <laughs> if I go through a drive through I don't want to see people pull into the parking lot after me, go in and get their food and leave before I ever get up to order. 
I'm impatient. I'm confessing. <laughs> I'm confessing. But from Ruth, we learn the importance of waiting on God. Again, having met Mo, uh, Boaz at midnight and having asked him to marry her, she's done everything she can do. She can't do anymore. Worrying doesn't change anything, right? He's still got to go to the city gate. He still has to find Mr. So-and-so. He still has to present the deal. She can't do anything about it. Naomi's advice to sit tight turned out to be a pretty good instruction or course of wisdom. She doesn't appear at the gate. You know why? Because she wasn't needed. She wasn't needed. Only Boaz, the family redeemer, could be there. She has no part in the unfolding of this drama, this family drama. She has nothing to do with it. What does that mean to us? Well, here's what it means. It means that when you have done all that you can do, when you've done all that you can do, don't feel guilty because you can't do more. If you're a kind and kind-hearted and compassionate person, sometimes that's a big struggle. You know, because you want to help everybody. And just sometimes you just can't do it. You just can't do it. There, there have been times, you know, and I've had to learn this lesson because I, I, I'm a servant. First and foremost, I'm a servant. I love serving. I love giving. I love, I, I, that's just my nature. But I'm one person. And I remember the first wedding that I couldn't do. And that was hard to say, I'm sorry, but I'm, I can't. I remember the first funeral that I was not able to officiate. That was hard. But I'm one person. From Naomi, we learn what it means to wait on the Lord. Again, at some point, we have to leave room for God. Try as we might, we can't orchestrate the affairs of our life. We can plan. We can do all of those things, but it is God who directs our path. It's wise to do what we can and then wait for the Lord to take care of the rest. Waiting time is not wasted time if you're waiting on the Lord. And in this case... Ruth doesn't have to wait much longer. She's been in a holding pattern. We don't know how long this took at the city gate. We have no idea. But Ruth's been back home since early morning, the wee hours, waiting for word to come. Are you going to be Mrs. So-and-so? Are you going to be Mrs. Boaz? And she's waiting. See, when we follow, and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up. When we follow God's plan, we should expect God's blessings. I get so amused at people today. They want to go out on their own little tangent, do their own little thing, and expect God to shower them with blessings. Really? Really? If you are obedient, <laughs> you shall eat the good of the land. You know, again, as, as I bring this to a close tonight, we have one more teaching next week, but everything about this story seems unlikely, and yet it was God's, part of God's plan from the very beginning. No one could have scripted it like this, but God, again, the best Hollywood writer could not have written a story quite like this. I mean, think, just roll the clock back to the time of the famine when Elimelech made this questionable decision to pack up his family, his wife and his two boys, and go to Moab because it was a, uh, they, they had food there, and, and, and they stayed there, and they got married, and then they died there. I mean, no, again, you can't, you can't script it like this, and yet God used this this, un, this questionable and probably unwise decision to bring Ruth and Naomi together. When Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your God will be my God. She had no idea of what that meant and what was to come. The future was as much of mystery to her 
as it is to each one of us. Ruth didn't conspire. I mean, think about this. We read this, and it's easy to say, well, no, Ruth did not conspire to live with Naomi so she could go meet Boaz. I love the way the Scripture says when she gets up to go to glean in the fields, the Bible says she just happened to be in the field of Boaz. She just happened to be there. She had no idea. Again, it was a big parcel of land, and everybody had their cornerstones, their, their territory marked out, but there wasn't a sign that says, here, pick this area. This is Boaz. <laughs> yeah, it didn't say that. She just happened to be there. Well, who happened to put her there? God did. Those steps that led to Bethlehem and then to the field of Boaz, later to the threshing floor. Soon they would be leading to a wedding chapel and later on to a childbirth. Who did that? God did that behind the scenes. When everything seemed to be falling apart, God was working these things out for their good and for the future plan. See, sometimes things happen in life that have nothing to do with us, but everything to do with God's ultimate plan. Again, I, sometimes I question very hard those tough times that come to us, but then I have to yield to the fact that I trust God regardless, and implicitly I just yield to Him and say, you know what, if this is the lot that you've given me, then I'll walk it. Let me walk it with honor. I look, I, I look at the life of Job, and it wasn't Job who said, hey, try me. <laughs> it was God who said, have you thought about him? <laughs> There's not anybody like him. Isn't that what, it, isn't what the Bible says? Job didn't say, hey, I'm over here. Why don't you, why don't you hit me with your best shot? <laughs> He didn't do that. It was God who spoke to, to, to Lucifer and said, hey, have you thought about him? See, sometimes it has nothing to do with us. God just says, you know what? What about him? I know I can trust him. I can trust her. You can hit him with your best shot. I, now I'm going to set the boundaries, but they'll not deny me, and they'll not abandon the faith. That's that's God's matter. God, God does that for his glory. Gener Listen, generations are going to come and go the road. Again, with the story of Boaz and Ruth will lead to David, ultimately to Jesus. That part was hidden from Ruth. Faith means taking the next step with God and then leaving the results with him. Listen, every one of us here, if the Lord tarries, none of us will live long enough to see the outcome of our faith. And, and, and what I mean by that is in regards to our family. We hope to see our children grow up, and if we're fortunate, we, we may see our grandchildren grow up, but we may not live long enough to see our great-great-grandchildren grow up and generations after that. But you know what? I have confidence tonight that in Psalms 1-5, it says God's mercies endure how long? To all generations. To all generations. If I were to breathe my last breath tonight, I have confidence that God will still take care of my family, still be there for my, my son, my daughter, still be there for my granddaughters, He'll still be there for the generations that will come after them because His mercy is to all generations. When I draw my last breath, will God take care of my family? Absolutely. After I've done all of my prayers, won't you stand with me? I'm going to close. I could keep talking. As we near the end of this story, again, our eyes center once again on God who is behind the scenes working these things out. 
And I leave you with that thought because I know that in this life that you and I live, there, there are good days and there are bad days. We have ups and we have downs. We have, we have advances and we have retreats. Sometimes we take two steps forward, we end up three steps back. It's just life. Sometimes life hits us in the gut with a good gut punch and just, just knocks the wind out of us. But if you keep walking, knowing that the unseen hand of God behind every one of those heartaches and disappointments, and even sometimes the only foolish, our own foolish decisions, is working things in accordance with his ultimate will will bring something good out of it. I have to believe that. Have faith. Do not grow weary. Take that next step of faith and have confidence knowing, again, that behind what's going on in your life is the unseen hand of God working on your behalf to get you to where he ultimately wants you to be. Won't you bow with me as we close tonight? The truth is you're not home yet, okay? And that, that's a good thing. If your current situation seems hard right now, remember, you're not home yet. What does that mean? It means God is still writing your story. This chapter may close on a sour note, but have faith that a new chapter will begin and greater things are yet ahead. If you're online tonight and here tonight, I want to close with this. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, that, that really describes me. I'm, I'm in that chapter that's not so pleasant right now. I've made some foolish choices. I've, I'm reaping some consequences from things that I decided I, I did. I didn't pray about them. I just jumped out and did. And, 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 and I'm reaping some of those consequences. And I just want my faith to be, to be stirred tonight, to believe that God's, number one, still for me. And that he's still writing my story. And that I, even though I'm in a chapter right now that's less than pleasant, I, I, I do believe that there's another story coming. Another chapter that's going to be better than this chapter as I commit my life to Christ, as I commit to walking in faith with him and in relationship with him. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. Maybe you're here tonight and that describes you. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want God to pen a beautiful story. Listen again, you look at you, you look at the characters of this story and only God, like Perez, for instance, Genesis 38, out of that illicit union that probably people poked fun, made fun, talked about, out of that came the lineage of Christ. God can use us. If that's you tonight, just slip in, write them right back down as we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the beautiful story of Ruth, Lord. So many reminders of, of your providential care. Even when we can't see it, you're working on our behalf. I pray for those that are online tonight. I pray for those in the building tonight that raise their hand. Lord, they're, they're, they're in a chapter right now that's less than pleasant. Maybe things have taken a turn for the worse and they wonder if they will recover from this. Lord, I remind them that Naomi and Ruth came back empty with nothing, and you redeemed them. Lord, may we have confidence.
that even those decisions that we made without thinking about it or without praying about it that ultimately brought some consequences, Lord, we just surrender ourselves to you tonight and ask you to take charge and bring that to a completion and begin writing a new chapter, Lord, one that finds us dedicated and consecrated to you to you and our relationship with you. With the hands that are here tonight, Lord, I pray that faith would rise up to believe that their present circumstance is not their final destination and that you have something greater in store as we walk in that covenant relationship with you. Lord, faith is not a trivial matter. It's not a trifle thing. It is the most important thing. So, Lord, help us to cultivate that relationship with you. And, Father, I ask you to go with us now. Give us a wonderful, restful night. Lord, may we wake up in the morning refreshed and renewed in you. Give us a great day tomorrow. Put people in our pathway that we can share the good news of Christ. Should you, Terry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive your word. I love and bless, bless each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.